Welcome to the boys of summer. We are back. There's still no baseball, but we're back. Uh, the lockout is still going on. And I am here with my friends, Paul Arnold, Eric Braun. Gentlemen, it's been a, a couple of months since we've had a chance to talk. And unfortunately, the last time we talked, we talked about the impending lockout. And there is still no change to that. But we did have our first conversation this week. It lasted an hour. And it was absolutely unproductive. The owners <laughs> came in basically with the same ideas they had before. And the player said, no, that's not going to work. And we move on. Uh, so I ask you now. Uh, what, do you, what do you think the odds are that we're going to have uh, uh, A, spring training on time, and B, the regular season on time? Yeah, I don't see I don't see spring training starting. Uh, spring training is when I think they'll actually start real negotiations. I don't think that's right. I, there are no real deadlines with this thing, which is part of the problem. You know, the, the right. one deadline they had, they blew past in December. And so now it's just like when they, you know, it's it, when it starts to hurt, right? And so for the for the owners, you know, I guess that starts with the start of spring training because every, you know, day they lose at spring training, you know, it could come off the regular season. That's so true. I think only 10% chance they start spring training on time. And I'm really bummed about that because I'm planning going down to Florida end of February and doggone it, they won't be playing. That's going to make me a little angry. Anyways, you can tell it's already started. I think about 80% chance they'll start the season on time, though. Um, one of the big sticky points, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the luxury tax threshold and players wanted it raised and MLB wanted it lowered. But the sticking time now seems to be more about service time for younger players. They want the younger players to be able to get to arbitration earlier because they feel that their salaries are being held down too much. And I, and I have to be honest, I think there's a case to be made for that. You know, when you look at what some of the great younger players have done uh, and, and you find out that uh, somebody led the league in home runs and they made $570,000 last year, that's kind of hard to swallow a little bit, isn't it? It really is. You know, they've players just are coming up more prepared now, it seems like, and, and or, they're, they're getting into the bigs a whole lot faster and producing a whole lot faster. You know, so I think that's a sticking point. And also, I think I think something's going to change with the uh, uh, the the time served uh, question with you know, how they right. wait until like June and they bring in a player and they lose a year of of uh, a, a contract year. So I think those two things are probably uh, going to be the big sticking point. Yeah, I was reading an article in Athletic, and it said that the average salary has gone down every year since 2017, and that's just not fair. Yeah, the big names are getting big money, but the other players are not. So I think it's time for the – That's a to me, that shouldn't be a big deal for the owners just to fess up and say, okay, we can do this. Yeah, because they're well, paying yeah, record amounts for teams, right? Right. Yeah, and and but but when was the last time you ever saw a, a, an owner of a team say, "Yeah, you know what? I'd actually like to spend a little bit more money." <laughs> well, they did in December before the yeah trade deadline. They were spending money like drunken sailors. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And just but and just think what it'll be like when they uh, when they finally settle this thing when they go to spring training. There's going to be a lot of guys that still don't know where they're going. There's going to be, uh, it might be dizzying for a week or so uh, with with the amount of signings that could go on. Yeah, I really didn't think that 
there was going to be a lot of activity. I think I think we said that on the last podcast. Was he, yeah. We didn't really because we we figured they'd hold their cards close to their chest to see what happened. But man, one guy started spending money, and all of a sudden they can't help themselves, and dollars are flying. And that's like the biggest argument against all of the, uh, you know, the the tax uh, stuff because it's like right. these guys have the money to spend. I mean, they what the Royals sold for a billion dollars recently. I mean. These guys have money and they're making money and the value of these teams keeps going up. There's no reason they uh, uh, they should be cutting salaries for the players. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think the salary you is know, the problem. It, I think the problem yeah. is... No, the, I'm... Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, bro. Go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts here. It's the question of what are the players going to dig in their heels about. I think we're already going to see the DH coming. We're already going to see expanded playoffs. I think the lottery thing's interesting just because baseball is so different than the other sports. But another quote I saw that the average um, player in Major League Baseball makes less than the National Hockey League players. I mean, like $200,000 less. I mean, so I don't think they have a lot of argument to make about that. I just think that each side's got to figure out where's their no-give area. Yeah, and, and I think, well, that was the point I was going to make, is I can't think of another league where young players make as little as they do in Major League Baseball. I mean, even in football, the rookies coming in, you know, the high-priced rookies that come into the NFL are making far more money than the minimum salary in Major League Baseball. And like you just said, I mean, hockey players are making more than baseball players, and that's kind of hard to swallow when you think about the uh, the number of games the number of fans, the fact that MLB's ratings, you know, while they're not going to touch the NFLs, are still higher than the NHLs. Yep. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, one thing, you know, one thing, though, speaking of spending money, and this is something I was, uh, let's talk about your Kansas City Royals for a minute, Eric Braun. Yes. Uh, what, one of the things that uh, your, your owner did in Kansas City is they have just built a huge apartment building that is going to, with a bunch of like apartments slash condos in it, that is going to house all the Royals minor league players down in Arizona. I did not and know that. That's, that's yeah, it's something that, yeah, it's something that they just, they just built. So now when the young players go down there, they aren't going to have to worry about, uh, you know, where they're going to stay. And because one of the big things that's been put in by major league baseball, I mean, and I, I will say this is long past time that they did this was they kind of mandated now that teams had to either raise salaries or they've got to figure out a housing situation for these young players because guys are basically working for slave wages, you know, when you're in the minor leagues. Oh uh, yeah. I should have known that there would be a, a, a profit motive for the, for the, uh, for the Royal owner. That's, 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 <laughs> that's <laughs> well, that I, you know, I don't, well, except what I don't know, Eric, and, and I, I, I should have looked into this a little bit farther when I read the story. I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think these young players actually have to pay to live there. I could now. I could be wrong. It doesn't sound right to me, but yeah, he found out that it was cheaper to build apartments than to pay the players more. That's my assumption. So. Well, that well, that you know, well, that that could definitely be. There's no question about that. So, well, let's just hope that something gets solved because all I know is the NFL is ending in a few weeks. And, you know, at least it gives us something to watch. Right. Uh, you know, and I like hockey as much as the next guy and I love college basketball, but you know, as soon as the NFL is over, I expect to be able to watch baseball. 
So, uh, you know, and I'm coming up here in a few weeks and it could get a little ugly here in the Gums household. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> There's always Korean league, right? Wow. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm quite that. I don't know if I'm that desperate. Yet. Although I will say this uh, on direct TV the other day, they actually had uh, a semifinal game from the Puerto Rican winter league. And I watched it. Yeah, that, I would watch that. Was it good? Yeah, I did watch it. So. It was. It was fun to watch. And it was, you know, they had American announcers, you know, speaking English. So thank God for that. Or I would have been totally lost. But but it was it was good baseball. It was fun to watch. And it was, you know, it was, I don't know, 40 degrees outside. And they're down there and, you know, and it was warm. And I kind of felt a little toasty just being able to watch it. Um, so, and it's uh, all right, let's. Well, yes, that helps, too. Um, so. Uh, one of the things that happened this week, and this wasn't necessarily a surprise, but John Lester retired this week. Uh, John Lester, who had a great career, uh, won 200 games. Matter of fact, he's won his 200th game with the St. Louis Cardinals, your wife's team, Eric. Right? He won right. his 200th game with the Cardinals last year. Uh, but he hasn't really been the John Lester we remember since 2018. His last uh, three years in Major League Baseball, he pitched to an ERA of uh, over five. So you kind of saw this one as, uh, you know, the, maybe the handwriting was on the wall. But my question to you is this. Here's a guy with 200 wins. And, you know, and this is a guy that's, that's uh, uh, won three World Series. He was a five-time All-Star. Uh, a guy that uh, has a career ERA of 3.6. But even better than that, his career ERA in postseason play is uh, 2.5. And this is a guy who has pitched 154 innings in the in a postseason. That's fifth most all time. So you look at some of this stuff and you go, wow, this guy sounds like he could be a Hall of Famer, except he's only got 200 wins. I mean, you know, and 300 was always that standard. So my question to you is this. Are we at a point and, and do, do voters for the Hall of Fame have to get to a point now where we start looking at guys that have 175 200 wins and saying, you know what, we have to take it based on the times and, and maybe 300 is not the standard anymore. 200 has to be. Yeah, I think, um, I think that they're definitely going to have to come off of the 300 sort of standard. I just, it's just not, it's, you, you'll never have any other pitchers entering the hall of fame. Uh, but, right. Right. Um, at least starters. Um, well, I guess that makes sense. Starters. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I look at uh, his overall numbers, though, I think it's hard to make a case for him if you're just looking at his like season numbers, right? His he's you know right. he's uh, you know sort of the the hall of the very good, right? But I think it, it's to me with him, his chance of getting in the hall is all about uh, you know his postseasons, and he it seems like he was there for like every you know big moment. Uh, in baseball for about a 10 year stretch. Right. He was, he was just there. Right. He was the, the Forrest Gump of, uh, <laughs> of pitchers. You know, he, he changed teams at, at the right time. Um, so I think, uh, I think he's got a case. He's probably not a first ballot guy, um, but I, 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 I could see him getting in. Yeah. Gene, I think he will get in. I think one of the numbers you mentioned 200 is big, but another thing I grew up with was that a pitcher wasn't a great pitcher unless he won 20 games in one season. Lester never won right. 20 games in one season. He did 19 twice, which was good. Right. But it's the different time of, of baseball, like you said. And 
you know, he was 18, 19, 16, 15, 19, and all those innings so reliable and, and decent in the playoffs. I think he gets in, but not like in the third year or, or second year. It just depends on what the year is, right? Like who is he against that particular year? Well, you know what? It was amazing to me. Do you realize there's only 66 starting pitchers in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I was surprised at that, too. I read that earlier. Yeah. That's a very, very small number. You know, now, and and if you're, let's look at John Lester. 200 wins, 117 losses. Catfish Hunter's in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Catfish Hunter won 224 and lost 166. So he won 24 more, but he lost about another 50 games than John Lester did. His ERA is a little bit lower, but there's a guy, uh, Jack Morris, another guy, right? I mean, you look at some of these guys and you go, well, if, you know, uh, if, if Catfish Hunter can get in, you know, why can't, you know, why can't a guy now? The, the, the Catfish Hunter did win a Cy Young. John Lester never won a Cy Young. But, you know, again, you know, you can't put them up against some of the, you can't put them up against Walter Johnson and Cy Young and all the, because that's a different era. So I, I just wonder at some point that if, if we aren't going to have to make, um, you know, take a look at that. Um, my the other, other so, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say the other part no, of John Lester retiring really made me feel old, really made me feel old. Cause I remember when he came up and was pitching for Boston as the fresh faced kid in 2006. Yep. And so you told me, Oh, John Lester retired. I looked, I went, what? He can't be old enough. And then I, Hey, thank gosh, I'm old. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you're welcome. But you know, the other thing is too. And, and if you take what Lester did in his entirety, you know, the other part of it, and I don't know how much of this should play into it, but don't forget his rookie season when he came up, it got cut short because he had cancer. Uh, he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and had to undergo cancer treatment and missed the, you know, the end of the, uh, the season and the first part of the next season and ended up cancer free the rest of the way. You know, is that something else that plays into it? I mean, it's just kind of, it's kind of hard to say it's, uh, you know, and you never know what the, these voters are, are so strange, you know, about what they're going to do. Um, another guy that retired, uh, over the last few weeks. And again, this is another one that's, well, this one surprised me. I should say the, uh, the Lester one necessarily didn't, but Kyle Seeger retired. Now Seeger hit 35 homers and drove in 101 runs this year. This guy was, he's only 34. Matter of fact, he just turned 34. Um, you know, and yeah, so you have to wonder uh, what drove him to retire. You got me. I, I, I have no <laughs> idea why you would why would now, you would walk away. I mean, the guy could make a lot of money. You know, I guess I guess some of it could be you know, and and there's two things. You wonder if the whole COVID pandemic thing has changed people's minds and the way they look at things. And you know what? It's like. Hey, people are dying all over the place. Maybe I need to spend more time with my family because you never know. I mean, you have to wonder if some of that doesn't play into it. Well, that was Buster um, Posey's rationale, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and, and, you know what, but with Buster, I guess I get it a little bit more because he's gotten the crap beat out of him behind the plate for his Correct, entire yeah, career. And, sure. you know, and catchers, catchers generally have shorter careers anyway. You know, now I know Seager's batting average was down last year. He only hit 212, but my goodness, he still drove in a hundred runs and kept that Seattle team uh, single-handedly in the race all season long. So that one, that one really just surprised me. But, you know, I think the COVID thing, and I also think, you know what? These guys make a boatload of money these days. There isn't as much incentive to keep playing, don't you think? Yeah, how much money do you need, right? Although well, I, the, you know. the U.S., you know, our uh, 
you know, there are plenty of people out there who are willing to do whatever it takes to make as much money as, as more, way more money than they need. So I don't, I don't know if that's totally true, but it could be, I guess. Well, he's from North uh, Carolina. He, it's pretty cheap to live in North Carolina, right, Gene? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is less expensive. Yes, it is. And, and look, this is a guy that in his career, and it, it was a fairly short career when you look at it, uh, he only played 10 seasons. And, uh, but he made a hundred and $103 million in 10 years. That's, you know, so he's not going to be on the breadline anytime soon. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, a guy who was a very nice player and a guy that I think that that Seattle team, I, I have to think it caught them by surprise. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that was shocking to me. Uh, all right. So let's move on. And I'm going to run. I want to run some nature. The hall of fame balloting has been done. It's all Everything's all wrapped up. The announcement comes out next week. So I'm going to run through some names here, and I want you to tell me if, if you think these guys are Hall of Famers. And, and let's start with the two steroid guys right off the top, Bonds and Clements. It's their last year on the ballot. Do you think there's any chance they get to 75% and get in? They were both at around 70% last year. Yeah, I've been reading up on that, and it sounds like just from what some of the voters are saying that neither one of them has a chance. So it doesn't look like it's going to happen for him. Yeah, my thinking was if Clemens would have come out and just say, you know, I made some mistakes, I realize it now, I still played really good, some semblance of humility, I think he would have gotten in this year. But he's not. He's just That's not who he is. He's just that bulldog uh, a-hole. I don't want to swear on this podcast but yeah he's just not gonna you know admit it so he's not getting in so i guess on this on this uh skype call i shouldn't zoom to my signed uh photo of roger clemens that i have in my office well i know you love him i know you love him gene and i think he should be in i know he should be in because of what he did before the steroids before the yank right. years the dark right. years but i don't think he would but, but my 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 contention with the whole steroid thing from the beginning has been if you used them and there was no testing because everybody was doing it, you know, we know that they were prevalent. We know there's guys in the hall of fame now that use steroids. If you use them before there was testing, you shouldn't have that held against you. And that goes for Barry Bonds. You know, the, as much as I hate the fact that he's the all-time home run King, you know, with that body of his and, and how he puffed up and everything at the end of the day, there was no testing. Now, if you failed tests when there was testing, guys like Manny Ramirez, guys like Alex Rodriguez, you never get in because you cheated when, when you, you broke the rules that were in place. There were no rules for Bonds and Clements and McGuire and Sosa. All those guys, there were, no, there were no rules in place. So how do you hold that against those guys? That's the part I have trouble wrapping my head around. Mm. Yeah, I would. Boy. I don't know. I would, I would, I would put uh, Clemens in, um, and 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 probably and and Bond. And pro- I would end up putting all of them in. Uh, you know, since yep. this is the last ballot, last ballot, I think that's kind of punishment enough. Just those guys, they're, you know, if they hadn't done steroids and they put up the same numbers, they all would have been easy first ballot, right? First ballot guys. But uh, but yeah, I think I would I would end up putting them all in. Yeah, here's I, an interesting. I, okay. here, here's a twist for you, though. Uh, the committee, you know, they have those uh, veterans committees. Mm-hmm. The committee that would actually include Bonds and Clemens 
meets this coming year. So even if they don't get in on the ballot this year, guess what? They could get voted in by the committee and to and by and bypass the writers next year. They could still get in, even though they're not going to be on the official ballot. Wouldn't that be funny? That would be hilarious. So now here's a guy I want to run by you, and and this is a guy I know that uh, especially you, Paul, you probably watch play, and I think you probably did as well, Eric. You, I think you were living down there at the time. Andrew Jones. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's on the Hall of Fame ballot, longtime member of the Atlanta Braves, and of course finished his career up uh, after he left Atlanta, played a little with the Dodgers and Texas and the Yankees. Uh, but this is a guy that is one of those fringe guys on the Hall of Fame ballot, but a guy who hit 434 home runs, uh, a guy with uh, over almost 1,300 runs batted in. Uh, the the knock against him, I guess, would be that his batting average wasn't very high, 254. However, he was one of the elite center fielders of his time. Ten gold gloves in center field. Five-time All-Star. Uh, how do you feel about him as a Hall of Famer? Um, I would put him in. You know, I, and I probably should let Paul go first since he's his guy. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm a, I love defense. And defense is right. way undervalued. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's got the numbers, uh, you know, for in several categories. You know what? He led the league and what we got. Well, it's, I'm just kind of glancing through his numbers. But he led the league. He had 51 home runs, led the league in 2005, uh, 128 RBIs. I mean, and yeah, all those gold gloves, all-star. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you want from a guy? Is this his first year on the ballot, Gene? Uh, no. No, I believe this is... When did he retire? Let me look at this. He retired in 2012, so he's been on since 2017 or 18. So this is his wow. fourth or fifth year on the ballot. Ooh, yeah. So he's almost... Yeah. Gosh, it's well, so, he's about, yeah, he's about halfway through. It's so hard, the way they vote for the Hall of Fame. You have to reach a certain percentage, and then the some people vote for you, some people don't, and... You know, I remember when he came up with the Braves. I was living in Atlanta, and he had such a baby face. He was so young. I think he was 19, and he was phenomenal. He changed the game. You know, we all believe, I guess I believe, that you have to be strong up the middle. And him playing center field in that big park, um, it was before Turner Field. It was, um, what was it called? Um, County, oh, I forget the name of the field right now. Ful- but Fulton County, Fulton County Stadium. Stadium. I went up and saw him, and he was fast. His legs looked twice as long as his torso when he ran, and he jumped. He looked like a young Kenny Griffey Jr. at that point. So at that point, everybody thought he was a guaranteed Hall of Famer. I think the biggest knock is at 256. I don't know. It's it's a right. sentimental type pick. You know, either you saw him and loved him, or you didn't see him and you really don't care. Ah, I'm gonna be sentimental and say yes, he should be in. Well, here's another one, and this one, this is good. This is a homer one for you. Well, you weren't a homer at, at the time he was pitching there, I don't believe. But uh, uh, Billy Wagner, another interesting case, a guy who was a dominant reliever, 422 saves all time, um, a guy that's been on the Hall of Fame ballot now for about five or six years and has hovered, you know, I think around the uh, 40, 50 percent mark. I'm not sure he's ever going to get there, but a guy with a, a 2-3-1 career ERA out of the bullpen and a whip of under one. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. He pitched, he pitched 903 innings in his career. All right. He struck out 1,196 guys in those 903 innings. Uh, pretty impressive. 
and, and if you look at some of the other guys that are in the Hall of Fame that were relievers, his numbers kind of stack up pretty good. Uh, so I wonder if, if that's a guy. And, and what do they talk about down there, down in Houston? Do they think, uh, I mean, there are a lot of, is there a lot of sentiment for him to get in down there? You know, I haven't heard much about it. I, to me, he just seems like he should be, he should walk into the hall of fame. I mean, that's a guy. You think, has, yeah. 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 I, nasty. It, it, it's like, it's like deep, it's same as defense, right? Closers have had a hard time getting in to, to the hall. I just, yep. yeah, I, I, to me, he just seems like a guy who should, who should definitely be in the hall of fame. I mean, he was the most dominant closer for years, right? I mean, years. Who else, yep. was close? Yep. who else was close to him? Except, you know, interesting though, he never led the league in saves. Really? Yeah, never did. That surprised me when I read that. Yeah. Yeah, he was on some bad teams, but yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah well, he was. Some of those Houston teams were not very good back then. Yeah. Uh, another, another interesting one, and, and again, we're going to stay uh, kind of down in your area, Andy Pettit. Another guy that he was not he was not linked to steroids, but he was linked to human growth hormone um, when he was recovering from an injury, fessed up to it right away. It's the only time he ever got in any trouble. There was nothing else. And so it wasn't an anabolic steroid. So I tend to give him a little bit more of a pass. And it was late in his career when he was trying to recover from knee surgery. But here's a guy that. 256 career wins. We talk about nobody getting, you know, to 300. This is a guy who's got 256, five World Series titles. I mean, you know, a guy that pitched on some great teams. Um, and so Andy Pettison, but a, another one of the guys, you look at his numbers, ERA 3.85, it's a little bit high. You know, I mean, that's he's one of those fringe guys. But, boy, I tell you what, he pitched in so many big games for the New York Yankees. And, and also for the Houston Astros. that His performance in 2005 with the Astros, was, he was ridiculous. Pitched to a 2.39 ERA that season. Uh, so you just, you just look at this and you go, how is this guy not uh, Hall of Fame worthy? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got, again, he's, he's you know, at least in the ballpark of the numbers, right? So right. he's, you know, he's kind of in the mix. And if you're going to say that, you know, admitting and taking responsibility for performance enhancing drugs of whatever kind, you know, I mean, he did, he was, you know, he was good about it. And it seems like he honestly was, you know, it was, it was to get over an injury. Was it the right thing to do? You know, probably not, but he, uh, you know, sometimes you, you do things and he fessed up to it. So yeah, I, I think he's, uh, I think he should certainly be in a conversation about getting in. And yeah, I mean, who has 256 wins anymore? So I'm right. going to stir the pot a little bit. Um, do you think Good. that players who played in the big markets on the East Coast are more likely to get in the Hall of Fame than players that played in Atlanta or Houston or other places? Oh, yeah. Well, we'll go back to the Andrew Jones yeah. conversation, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a guy yeah. who, yeah, he has the big numbers. Yeah. You're, and great you're right. If he was a center. If he was a center fielder for the Yankees or the Dodgers, he's probably already in. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. You know why, Paul? And, and I don't think it's I, I don't think it's necessarily like an East Coast bias kind of thing. It's just that the those big market teams get more national exposure. So even writers that don't cover those guys on a regular basis are exposed to them more than guys in the smaller markets. Yeah, I agree. And you know, Atlanta got a lot of exposure through TBS and things like that. So. Andrew Jones got seen by a lot of people, but I just always wonder when we get to these tough conversations, because Andy Pettit is beloved in New York, and that's one of the reasons I think he'll get in the Hall yeah. of Fame. Okay. All right. Fair enough. 
Um, now, now, the, now the Homer one that we're going to discuss. And in my opinion, it's not whether he gets in. It's whether he should get in on the first ballot or not. <laughs> and, that's David, and that's David Ortiz. Oh. David Ortiz, you could make the case, may be the greatest clutch hitter uh, that we have seen in, in 50 years. This is a guy 541 home runs in his career. Almost 1,800 runs batted in. 286 career hitter. I mean, look, uh, what he has done is, is incredible. 10-time All-Star, right? Uh, uh, the pro- he's got two things going against him. A, he's a designated hitter, but there's been a designated hitter since 1973, so I think it's time to get over that, right? There's, right. I mean, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. And B, he was named as somebody that failed a drug test in that before there was testing, and it, was, it, it wasn't even the Mitchell report. It was before that, and somehow his name got leaked. But then we come to find out that there had been some false positives in there, and they retested his sample, and it came up negative. Hmm. Rob Manfred, my buddy, actually came to Fenway Park last year or the year before and said, hey, you shouldn't hold that against them because it was a false positive, yada, yada, yada. Uh, David Ortiz, to me, not only should be in, he should get in this year. Uh, or, you know, I'm, that's my opinion. Um, I'm wondering where you guys fall on this. Go ahead, Paul. Yes, definitely. Big poppy all the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, if only just because I can't wait to hear his acceptance speech, <laughs> but, um, Beep that baby <laughs> out, man, bleep, bleep. But, oh yeah. But look, his, you know, if you hold the DH thing against him, I mean, the guy was, uh, for, was it? Five years in a row, he was a top five vote getter for MVP. So, right. I mean, obviously, somebody's gotten over that if they're, you know, putting a DH that high up in the MVP voting. So, yeah, yeah, big poppy. I'm a big fan. See, I, I knew I liked you guys. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next topic. And this is one that was, uh, was concerning to me. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles announced this week that they are going to be moving the fences back at Camden Yards uh, as much as 30 feet in left field. 30 feet. This isn't a little tweak. This is a massive tweak. And then they are going to raise the height of the wall at different points um, as much as five feet. And they're taking seats out of the ballpark to do this. Now, I think, I mean, I know I've been to Camden Yards. Paul, I think you have too, yes? Yep. Have you been there, Eric? I have not. It is the, in, in my opinion, and you know, I mean, it's the best ballpark I've ever been to, mm-hmm. period. I've been there probably a half a dozen times. I've sat in a different place every time. I have never been to a better ballpark. I am so concerned about what this could do uh, to my favorite ballpark, and my, my first response was, how about you just go out and sign some people that actually know how to pitch before we worry about moving the fences back? Uh, you know, and here, let me give you the numbers before we discuss this. Uh, Baltimore hit 122 home runs at home last year. Uh, only 73 on the road. So obviously a little home cooking, right? Oriole pitchers allowed 155 homers at home and 103 on the road. So there's obviously some stark differences between home and road numbers as far as home runs go. But again, this is an Oriole team that stinks. 
You know, so you wonder how much of it is uh, the ballpark and how much of it is you just stink. <laughs> yeah, I, it makes absolutely no sense. Why would you build your stadium around this team, right? I mean, you should build your, your stadium around what you uh, want to do, right? Want to do or or build yeah. a team around your stadium. Um, right. So, yeah, that's that just seems crazy. I mean, it is, you know, I've never been, but it's like on the short list of stadiums that I want to go to. And that outfield yeah. is part of the reason why. I mean, it's just the fans are right there. It's it's, it's just and you know, they've got the warehouse. And it's just don't mess with that stadium. I mean, it's, it's a cool place. Yeah. yeah, it's as close as we have to, a, you know, a modern classic, you know, stadium. So I've been to um, I changed our son's diapers underneath the stadium billboard out in uh, Camden Yards. I took to start Alrighty. taking them. I mean, hey, Excellent. thanks, right? I've probably said that before. Anyways, I love that park. I've been there many times. If they take the seats out of left field, it's not a big deal. If they take it out of right field, it's a huge deal. That's where Boog yeah. Powers Powell's barbecue place, and don't mess with that. Okay. No, 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 you don't it, do that. Don't mess with that. Crazy but the fuck. Comerica at Tiger's new stadium, they built it. They realized it was too big. They brought yeah. in the fences a little bit. So uh, I don't know. When you have bad pitching, you need a bigger park. And you're right. Unless you spend money, you're going to have bad pitching. So come on, Orioles. That, that's weak. That's lame. And that, that and Comerica was just mammoth. <laughs> that oh, that was crazy. It was Yeah, that was ridiculous. Well, that you know what that was? That was the anti-Tiger Stadium. <laughs> right. Right? Because, right. yeah. I mean, because Tiger Stadium, Little Leaguers could hit it out of, I think. <laughs> so, some big news out of baseball this week. Uh, Rachel Balkovic has been hired to be the first female manager in professional baseball in the United States. She is going to manage the low-A Tampa Tarpons for the New York Yankees. So, gentlemen, what do you think about that? There's no crying in baseball. As long as she knows that, we're good. <laughs> oh, uh, are, we canc- are, we be- are we getting canceled right now? Yeah, I, think, I think so. Uh, there'd, be pitchforks, there'd be pitchforks outside Paul Arnold's door any minute now. Uh, look, look she's, thir- she's 34 years old. And uh, she she played she was a, a catcher in college uh, softball. She played for uh, Creighton University of New Mexico, but then she worked uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals as a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, she worked with the Houston Astros. Uh, she was hired as their uh, their strength and conditioning coordinator for Latin America. So guess what she did? She learned how to speak Spanish. Oh, smart. Right, and then she became their strength and conditioning coach for their Double A team at Corpus Christi. So. And by the way, she has two master's degrees, um, you know, and she has been working with this uh, uh, this baseball center. It's all data driven called uh, driveline baseball. So she's worked with a whole bunch of different major leaguers. Uh, so this is a woman that has done the work to get there. And guess what? There aren't a lot of minor league managers that are bilingual. And with the amount of uh, uh, Latino players in the minor leagues, I mean, this is, I mean, I think to me, I think, and, and I think maybe the most surprising thing, guys, it was the New York Yankees breaking this ground first. One of the most storied franchises in Major League Baseball, the first ones to break this line. Well, they had, they were the first with the full-time female uh, announcer too, right? 
I think that's was right. that right. I thought yeah, that was, public I thought that was the uh, address. I thought, I thought it was the Giants. Was I thought it? it was the Giants that did okay. that. Maybe. Um, it, it, but yeah, so they, I, they they've been fairly progressive. Uh, you know, at San Antonio, uh, the Spurs, they've had Becky Hammond as yep. sort of the coach in waiting there for a while. She's, uh, you know, and she's she's tough. She played, you know, the WNBA, and she's much loved in San Antonio. So except you know, now she's got now, but but now she's leaving the NBA and she's going to coach in the WNBA. Oh, is she? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's she's I leaving really to become a. Yeah, well, she decided she wanted to be a head coach. She didn't want to wait around, so she's going to go be a, a head wow. coach in the WNBA next year. But, I, I but yeah, that. you're right. I mean, so yeah, that's okay. Well, that's all right. I forgive you. I, I expect her but to be I, a coach at some point. I, I think so too. But I just think, I just think this is a great idea. Why not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's see what happens. I, I mean, what do you? Uh, it's it's low A. I mean, if, if you're ever going to, to have a place to test this out, this would be the place to do it. I don't know. Right. You know, I don't know how quickly we'll see one in a major league uh, uh, dugout, but I think this is, I think it's high. You know, here's the thing. And I'm sure you guys have all heard the term mansplaining. <laughs> yes. You I know, and this is, yeah, but I think that uh, this is why I think this is great because I'll tell you what, I know a lot of women who know a lot about baseball, Oh yeah. you know, and I, and, and I will be honest, I am one of those guys that at times I always like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, not, not, not whatever, honey, but you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, okay. But I have had some friends that are, that are females that, that have stunned me with how much they know about baseball. And I, and I, I so slowly woke up to say, Hey, you know what? There's no reason that they can't know just about, about baseball as I do, even though they don't, they don't have to play it to understand it. Right. Uh, so, so I think this is, I think this is a great idea. Yeah, yeah, it, it, she'll, I, I suspect she'll do great, and and especially like that whole bilingual thing, especially in single A ball. I mean that, I mean that could be huge for that franchise. Yeah, not only will you not need an interpreter to go to the mound, um, you know, it's it's you can build you can build uh, camaraderie, you can build that sense of team unity better if you can communicate with these people all along instead of having to have an interpreter following you around all the time. Right. And, and, if, uh, and if you're trying to recruit, right? I mean, that's, yeah, uh, it's a plus. And, and I think soon we're probably going to have trilingual people with the number of Japanese players mm-hmm. making it to the mm-hmm. league. Now we yeah. might have to, we might have to have trilingual people. So uh, now here's what I think less likely to happen in the Australian baseball league uh, in the Melbourne uh, challenge series. This happened uh, about 10 days ago, a 17 year old girl by the name of Genevieve Beacom, uh, became the first female pitcher for an Australian professional baseball team. She came into a game. They were getting their, their butts handed to them 7-1, so they put her in, and they figured, well, it can't get any worse, right? So they put her in. She's a lefty. She comes in, and in one inning, she pitches a scoreless inning. She got uh, uh, a couple of ground balls, a fly out. She had to work around an error and a walk, but she pitched a scoreless inning. Um, and she hopes to come to the United States and play college baseball. Um so as a, as the father of daughters, I always say, Hey, look, you know, who says, who says you can't, I mean, you know, until somebody, until you try, who knows, you know, I would not put it past her to be able to pitch in college baseball. She's not going to throw 90 miles an hour, but as we have seen, ask Jesse Orozco, if you have to throw 90 miles an hour <laughs> to have a career, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, uh, and I'm sure we could think of, oh, well, Zach Greinke doesn't throw 90 miles an hour. Not anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of the pitches he throws up there probably are uh, 
are are uh, what what fifty five miles an hour those pitches he throws up there. So yeah. so I you know I mean, do you think we will ever see a female play professional baseball in the United States? Yeah, forever is a long time. You know, uh, <laughs> it's gonna okay. Well, let me all right. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> okay. in, in our in our lifetime, assuming we still have a few years left, in our lifetime, will we see that? And yeah, this isn't this is this isn't being sexist. I'm just it's a legitimate no, question. No. Yeah, no, it it is it's 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 a legitimate and fair question. I think um, the problem is there's not the infrastructure there. It's it's starting. You know, there's girls playing little league, uh, fast right. pitch baseball. Um, so, you know, I I'm 53. I'm pretty healthy. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe I'll be there for the first one, um, but. Uh, you know, I think I think there's going to be have to be a lot more investment in women's baseball, um, okay. and and just uh, to to make that happen. I mean, there could be like one or two just sort of flukes, but to have like a really sustainable uh, women's baseball uh, program, it's it's going to take uh, a, a lot more effort than what we have now. I'll say yes too. I think if you have the right situation, the right person, the right arm gets coached up right. I think baseball teams want to win. If they have a great reliever or a great pitcher, left-hander or whatever, I think that's the best shot for a, a lady to get into the major leagues. Yep. Yeah, you know, and I think I think you said the key right there too, left-hander, right? Oh, for sure. Cuz we always talk we always, we always talk about the crafty lefties even when it's guys, right? right? So, you know, most a lot of times left-handers that are coming in aren't throwing gas anymore, you know, they're they're throwing you know they're hitting their spots and they're throwing off speed stuff. So you know, good, good for her, and and I hope I hope we see it. I don't know. I'm older than you are, Eric, so I may not get to see it, but uh, yeah, it would be kind of cool if I did. All right, so I want to finish up our time here on this this episode. My my buddy Peter Abraham, who writes for the Boston Globe, had a great column, and it's 22 things that to improve baseball in 2022 and beyond. And we could run through these. Some of these are going to be quick, but I just I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about them a little bit. Number one, incorporate the universal DH. To me, no brainer. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Here's here's why. You know what the uh, pitchers hit last year? 110. 110 with a 293 OPS and struck out in 44% of their plate appearances. This has got to be the biggest no brainer in the history of no brainers. Yeah, look, if, uh, if a pitcher wants to pitch or a pitcher wants to hit, let him hit. But other than that, let the DH happen. Granky hit pretty good, though, last year. Who did? Granky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, this, there, there are a couple of exceptions. Well, let, Shohei Otani, let him hit the hell out of the ball, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Number two, and I like this one, discourage tanking. So what he what he proposes is if you lose 92 games, you fall three spots in the draft. You lose 95, you fall three more, you lose 100, and the highest you can pick is 10th. He said it'll encourage would-be tankers to build a team capable of winning 70 games. He said, and, and he says that's not too much to expect, and it would also discourage the July fire sales that we have seen uh, recently. I kind of like this idea. Mm. I like it, but salaries have to be fixed on the, you know, you know, there's got to be some luxury tax, you know, the, the, the tanking is a symptom, right? It's not a, 
it's not a strategy that people are using uh, because right. that's how they want to build their teams. It's it's a symptom of a messed up uh, salary structure in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I like the lottery idea better than that idea. Uh, although I like the idea that you can't you don't reward bad teams. There's sometimes right. where you just can't help where it's going, and the lottery keeps it interesting so that. Um, you know, the bottom dwellers don't automatically get that best pick. Well, and I think some of it, uh, yeah, I think some of it is struggled to, to try to encourage teams to spend money, you know, stop the, uh, the, the, the Oakland athletics and the Pittsburgh pirates from trying to be, uh, you know, I mean, Tampa gets away with it all the time, which is part of the problem here, but there's only one Tampa Bay Rays right now. We, no other team has been, managed to figure that out yet. Oakland's come the closest, I guess. Well, yeah. And well, yeah. And look at, I, I mean, for every team that succeeds in, you know, in, in, in that sort of strategy, like, like Tampa, there's like five Marlins, right? I mean, these right. teams that just, uh, the Marlins <laughs> yeah. are just, Marlins are the bottom level of all things baseball wise. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. They're just <laughs> pretty a, much yeah. cynical. Franchise. It's like a two in cards, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so so here's a radical one. And in this one, there's no way this ever happens, but I love this just because it's funny. Um, and the headline on this number three was to rescue Mike Trout. He said, it's a crime. He said, it's a crime that the best player of his generation is 30 years old and he hasn't played in the postseason since 2014. Either the angels figure this out in two years or Trout becomes a free agent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said, he said, obviously it's not going to happen. He said, but wasting his talent in Anaheim is like having Da Vinci painting your garage. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I love Pete Abraham, but I, it's never going to happen, but I love the sentiment. Um, but here's what the, the number four is the one that, that, that I agree with and it's don't expand the postseason. It's one of the things they're talking about now, but he, the, and, and the, the players don't necessarily want this. The owners want it and they want it for one reason, because it's more money in their pockets from television revenue. But, if, if they expand the playoffs to what they're talking about, it would mean that 47% of the teams make the postseason. That would make baseball no better than the NBA or the NHL. And that's everybody always joked about how everybody in the NBA and the NHL makes the playoffs. If they expand this even more, it makes the 162-game regular season almost meaningless. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree 100%. There's, there's plenty of teams in now. Yeah. I think there's too many teams in. Yeah, I think they shouldn't move that anymore. But they were talking about they would reduce the number of games during the season if they expanded the playoffs. Do you think that's a good trade-off? No, I still don't like that number of teams in the postseason. I want the I, I, I want the regular season to mean something. Yeah, you know, I don't want to go back to the days where there was no wild card. I like the wild card. Don't get me wrong, and I'm even okay with the second wild card they have now. But I don't want it to go any farther than that. I, I think it. I think it really cheapens the regular season if you do that. And and you're you're going to wear guys out even more. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, those the season is already so long. Um, this it's it's I just, another round of playoffs. It's, I mean, when is the season going to be done? Like December. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and we'll be playing in the baseball. Sh- yeah, well, yeah, we'll be playing them in the snow. Yeah. Uh, all right, number five, keep the extra innings rule. 
but he wants to make a change to it because he likes it. He doesn't like and I, by the way, I, I've kind of come around on it, but I like Pete's suggestion here. He says, instead of starting the runner on for, on second base in the 10th inning, wait to do that until the 11th. Let him play the 10th straight up and then go to it in the 11th inning so that we don't get too carried away. I kind of like that idea. Yeah, I like that because it seems like so many games end in the 10th, right? It's like they uh, get most kind of, of them. fire lit in. Yeah. They get kind of a fire lit under them and, and, and finish it up. Yeah, that's a good idea. I can get behind that. I'm good with that. Yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> I like this one. I like this one. I like this one even better. Limit the number of pitchers on the roster. Ooh. Limit it to, limit it to 12. And he says what it will do. He said, he said look, uh, pitchers are so far ahead of the hitters that it's all we're getting is strikeouts. He says, if you only have 12 pitchers, it would force starters to work longer. And he said it would bring back the idea of buying tickets to actually see an ace work a game. Hmm. I like it. I like that idea a lot. I mean, I've always said that. I mean, teams carrying 14 pitchers to me is ridiculous. And that's why we have all the pitching changes that we do. And that's why we only have starting pitchers. They tell them not to even worry about it. Just go out and throw as hard as you can for four innings. I, I, it would, it, you know what? It would bring back the idea of we just to bring it back full circle. We were talking about John Lester with 200 wins. If they did this, we might see starting pitchers going deeper, getting more wins, and then maybe yeah. 200 wins is attainable. 225 wins is attainable. Yeah, injuries though. If you only have 12 pitchers instead of 14, are you going to see more injuries on your team? Paul, how old are we? That's what they did for years. Matter of fact, if they a lot of times when I was growing up, they had eleven pitchers. If you know, you had five. If, sometimes even only ten. You know, I mean, I, I think that you know, I, I hate to sound like the old man, get off my lawn, but every they've gotten soft. <laughs> gotten soft. You know, that's what I'm serious. I mean, but in our entire uh, when we were growing up, nobody had twelve pitchers on their roster, or very damn damn few. So I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, just my. Saying. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the downstream issues that might cause because you know the one nice thing that and one of, again all my my view is always on how this affects the Royals, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I building a bullpen is a little bit easier than paying for starting pitching, right? Starting pitching is murder, and if you put, go back to put more emphasis on starting pitching, that just <laughs> makes it harder to afford. There are the starting pitchers are already paid a boatload even if they don't pitch as many innings. So I'm so I'm saying you so I'm I'm guessing you so that's a no for you. I I'm going to say <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. No. All right. All right, here's another one. Uh Pete says uh, number 7, don't ban shifts. He says, look, teams have shifted since the days of, you know, Lou Boudreau and Ted Williams. You know, uh they used to put six players on the right side against Ted Williams. So he said the problem isn't the shifting. The problem is stubborn hitters that, that refuse to adjust their swings and hit the ball the other way. He's not wrong, right? No, he's right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's right. Darn it. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, but that's the, and I hate, look, I hate all the shifts. I got to be honest. But at the I end of the day, Pete's right. Yeah, but Pete's right. I mean, I, I absolutely believe he's right. Did it seem like they got uh, number a little eight. bit better about it this year, the hitters? It seems like there was a few. You know, a few. Yeah, I will say I, I will say that we did see some instances of guys trying to go the other way. It wasn't always successful, but there were some some guys that, that did that did do that. Yeah, yeah. you know, and may, you know, maybe and maybe that trend's going to start reversing itself. You know, maybe some of these batters are finally waking up to and like, hey, that really does work. Maybe yeah. we'll see. Uh, number nine, 
or number eight, I'm sorry, pitch clock. Pete says we need one. Yes. Yes. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I think, uh, look, now I had this argument with somebody the other day, and I talked about it on my show this week. People talk about how long a baseball game is. Do you realize how long a football game takes? Man, it seems like you know, most, fo- longer and longer. most football games now are taking three hours and 20 minutes, three hours and 30 minutes. And yet people are, are complaining about how long a baseball game takes. And by the way, well, the people say, well, there's a lot of action in football. Yeah, baloney. Yeah, baloney. There's a play that lasts, the, the play lasts seven or eight seconds. And then we have like, you know, 30, 40 seconds between plays before anything happens again. That's, le- that's sometimes more time than it takes a pitcher to throw another pitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, so, go see a game in uh, person. So yeah, so I get a little aggravated, and and the timeouts that they have in football all the time, you know, it just it it seems to me that uh, you could make the case that football is just as plotting, if not more plotting, uh, than baseball is right now. It reminds me of that George Will um, comment. I think I've said it on this uh, uh, podcast before, but <laughs> the 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 problem with football is that it's uh, the worst two. Uh, uh, attributes of modern American society, which is violence and committee meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've used that before, but I like it. I got I gotta, I like that one. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We're not going to get through all these. We'll, we'll just go one more and then we'll, uh, we'll have to wrap it up for today and we'll save these for the next time. But uh, number nine, and I like this one. He says, fix the replay rule. He said, replay rules are supposed to to correct egregiously missed calls by the umpires, which makes sense, right? The problem is now, how many times are we seeing replays to find out if a runner lifted his hand off the bag by an eighth of an inch on a, on a steal of second base? That is the you know what I mean? thing that drives me crazier than oh. anything else. Like, what, what? This is not visible to the naked eye. There's right. no reason we should be reviewing this. Right. If a guy steals second base and he gets his hand in there, and, he, and even if he slides through the bag and his hand comes off for one, you know, a, a fraction of a second, they're, they're calling him out now, which is just idiotic because he, he beat the throw. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely did. That 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 is the most frustrating part of that. Uh, there are so many other things that they could be focusing on the, for the calls to get missed. Um, that is not something that needs to be reviewed. And then uh, how many and every steal, it seems like we have to go to a review on that. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, that that fills me with rage. But, well, sorry, I didn't mean to get you there. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Sad. That's it. Well, you know, we'll, speaking of we the only got we only got football, you know. we we only got yeah we only got through nine and and we need to uh, to wrap this up because uh, Mr. Braun is going to go work himself up into a lather prior to the start of the Kansas City Chiefs game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Although Eric, I really don't think you have a whole hell of a lot to worry about. No. I'm a Chiefs fan. I always have plenty to worry about. <laughs> We've been to wow. two Super Bowls in a row. I still can't, you know, uh, you know get uh, over 50 years of, uh, of mania. Well, I, well, you know, I, well, and you know, I guess there were, the Cincinnati Bengals won their first uh, playoff game in like 30 years. So I guess anything can happen, right? So I guess she should be nervous. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I actually have quite a bit of confidence. Ben is Roethlisberger is just not. You know, He's the Statue of Liberty. Person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that you should eat them up again. They already <laughs> cleaned their clocks, you know, last month or month or so well, ago. 
Well, I hope, I hope for your sake they do. I hope for this podcast that, uh, that they do because uh, we want to make sure you're here for the next episode. For, <laughs> that's going to do, do it for number 77. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll have the Hall of Fame announcement coming up. We'll, uh, we'll break all that down on our next episode. For Paul Arnold and Eric Braun, I'm Gene Gums. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Boys of Summer.